Hello and welcome to episode 43 of React Native Radio. Today on our panel, we have Peter Pykarczyk. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Nader Dabit. And today our special guest is Sacha Grief. Hi, everybody. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, so we, we have Sasha on here today to kind of talk about quite a few things, really. But um, the main thing that we're going to be discussing is the state of JS survey. So if you've kept up with the community, Twitter, Hacker News, or just JavaScript community in general, you've probably seen this survey going around. And it's been very popular because it's one of the most comprehensive, well-done surveys that's ever been done, in my opinion, about what people are actually doing, where they're going to be thinking about putting their efforts in the future and kind of letting us all know what's trending by looking at all these results. I guess before we get into the actual survey, do you want to kind of go into what you do right now for work and how you got into programming in general? Sure. So I'm uh, basically an independent developer and designer. So I have a bunch of uh, small projects that I just work on and try to make money off. So I studied computer science originally, but I never actually worked as a a developer, really, because I I went more into design. So uh, for a pretty long time, I was just a freelance designer. And then more recently, I I went back into more uh, hardcore programming, especially uh, with uh, Meteor JavaScript framework and now more with like React, Redux and all that stuff. Yeah, I've always been kind of interested in, in everything like design, development, uh, marketing, whatever. So I think that's also why I have a lot of little projects because probably yeah, I need new things to kind of keep me interested and keep me active. So uh, yeah, I probably have more of a like, generalist profile, not really specialized in any one thing, but so far it's I've been able to make it work, I think. So what are some of the projects that you have going on right now? So I have a bunch of projects. Uh, one of them, for example, is uh, Sidebar, which is a, a newsletter of design links. And that project is based on an open source app that's called Telescope, which is uh, built using Meteor. And I also uh, co-authored a book about Meteor. So I have all these projects, but I try to kind of have a common thread between them, in this case, uh, the Meteor framework. And then more recently, I also launched uh, State.js, the survey. Um, I'm probably forgetting a couple other projects, but these are the main ones uh, right now, at least. So do you monetize those projects in any way, or are they all just kind of projects that you kind of do for an open source type of thing? So Telescope is completely free and open source, and I'm not monetizing it. But apart from that, I try to monetize every project. So Sidebar has like uh, sponsored links. So the book, you know, I I sell it. And then State.js also had uh, sponsored uh, links in it. As far as the Meteor book, did you publish that yourself or did you go to a publisher? Yeah, it's self-published. So I think, you know, self-publishing makes a lot of sense for this kind of uh, technical book because there's a, a very like specific audience that's that you can easily reach uh you can blog you know so you're not you don't really i think you don't really need a publisher if you're willing to uh kind of do part of the marketing and promotion yourself if you're willing to take that on then i think publisher is probably not that useful anymore 
How long did it take you to write your book? I co-authored it with uh, Tom Coleman, which so he's a really advanced meteor developer who actually now works for uh, the meteor development group itself. And um, it took us maybe six months, probably took us about six months from, you know, having the idea and kind of starting to blog and to to validate the demand up to uh, releasing the, the first version, at least, because since then we've kept it updated and we've blogged a lot more. So, you know, there's obviously a lot more than six months of work that went into it. But for the first version, yeah, about six months. Okay. And the book is Discover Meteor? Yeah, discovermeteor.com. I actually so, bought the book. Oh, cool. I was super into Meteor back then. Wow. I can't believe I'm on a podcast with you right now. <laughs> yeah, so, it's a small world, I guess. The question is, did you read the book? Yeah, I loved it. Meteor is like what got me like into like backend development and stuff. Thanks. Yes. Same here. I had done a little bit of Rails. I had done some PHP stuff back then, but Meteor is what got me back into like more, you know, serious and, and also that's what made it more enjoyable for me because I didn't really like Rails that much. I didn't really understand any of the concepts. And then Meteor somehow it made made a lot more sense to me. Yeah. It was the first time I saw a node on the server and I was like, whoa, this is JavaScript? Like that's so yeah. cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Yeah, so I haven't had a chance to check out well, speaking of Meteor and React, I haven't had a chance to uh, check out Apollo yet. Have either of you been able to try it out or use it? So Apollo, for those who don't know, it's basically the, the new um, project uh, launched by MDG, the company behind Meteor. And it's um, it, there's two parts. Basically, there's uh, Apollo client and Apollo server, and it helps you uh, implement GraphQL in your app so it's pretty cool because it, it hooks up with uh, Redux. So if you have, if you already have a Redux app, you can pretty easily add it, and then you get all the benefits of GraphQL plus, you know, lots of things like pagination and, and like uh, server-side rendering. So I haven't actually uh, used it, but uh, I'm seriously considering it for uh, Telescope, my open-source Meteor plus React app. Yeah, I kind of spent this weekend actually digging into it. Today's Monday, by the way. So I spent a little bit of Saturday and a lot of Sunday doing some GraphQL stuff. And I spent a few hours trying to get a Meteor application running with MongoDB and uh, Apollo and React Native because I was going to do a blog post. And I'm still kind of working on it. Couldn't couldn't get everything set up with Apollo. Um, I did get it working with GraphQL. I think I may be missing a few things about how it works. So I'm looking to looking forward to digging into it a little more. I know we're going to be having the guys from Apollo on this show in about a week or two. So if you're interested in Apollo, definitely look out for that. But Sacha, do you know the kind of the the main problem they're trying to solve with Apollo, just out of curiosity, since you're so kind of uh, in tune with the Meteor community, maybe you would know this. Sure. So basically the, the Meteor team, they realized that the one problem they were like the best at solving um, was the, the server client um, relation and how you transmit data between them. Because, you know, Meteor is kind of a full stack framework, but, you know, it had competition on every level of the stack, like the build tool, there's Webpack, the front end, there's React, except basically for that, you know, middle layer, that uh, API and, and client server layer. 
so they realized that you know that was their strong point and that's how they decided to refocus their efforts on on that at least for now and i think it's really really important because you know that usually gets a bit glossed over like you you have your front end engineer and you have your back end engineer and then how each each part talks to each other is kind of the, the, that middle ground that nobody really wants to take charge of sometimes and uh yeah graphql is like a really good solution to that i think you know a lot of smart people are saying it's going to replace rest and i i kind of trust them on that and i think if you know they can make graphql even easier to use and approachable by by anybody that could be a really impactful project yeah i agree and i've really been enjoying graphql uh, at the company that i work with now school status we've kind of built our own graphql implementation and it's just been really nice to be able to just get whatever data we need so i'm looking forward to to looking further into apollo yeah, I've been super excited about Apollo. I haven't been able to try it yet, but it was definitely on my list of things to give a shot. So I guess uh, let's go ahead and start talking more about the actual state of JS survey. So what kind of brought the idea about and how did you get all of this stuff going and how did it become such a big popular thing? So, you know, I think we've been talking for like five, ten minutes and we've already mentioned Meteor, React, Redux, Apollo, GraphQL. So you know, it's there's this meme going around right now with uh, JavaScript fatigue, right? And on one hand, I, I understand it and I kind of suffer from it myself sometimes. But on the other hand, I think a lot of it is due to like the growing pains of the JavaScript ecosystem, right? Because for a long time, we were doing things kind of, you know, a very DIY kind of um, spirit where you just use jQuery here and a bit of this library there and there's no not like a real structured way of doing things and now i feel that now that this is coming in and people are like oh i need to import things and everything is not global anymore they're just kind of uh, allergic reaction to that new way of doing things that more like grown-up way of doing things and so my my goal was figuring out whether like who who's right right is it is it true that things are getting unnecessarily complex or on the other hand is it true that things are maturing and, and getting more structured basically and that's why people are you know having a hard time so uh that was the, the thinking behind the survey i think it was a good time to do it and also just for myself you know i wanted to have more data about which frameworks which libraries i should be uh thinking about learning so so that's basically the, the reason behind it so I guess you kind of came up with the idea and you put together the survey and you started sending it out, I guess. How did people kind of hear about it and, and how many people actually responded to the survey? I think a little bit above 9,000 uh, responded to it in maybe like two weeks. And I just got the word out like on Reddit, Hacker News, um, JavaScript Weekly, uh, and a few other places. You know, I... I I've been involved in the media and, and JavaScript community for a while, so I just asked people to retweet it and I harassed them until they did it. And yeah, I just got the word out like that. So I, I tried, you know, for example, I didn't uh, send out the link to uh, my mailing list for Discover Meteor because I didn't want to bias the results towards Meteor. So I tried to avoid like 
um, doing anything that could, you know, skew the results in one direction or another. But it's funny because I still got a lot of criticism, you know, some criticism about that because people who, uh, you know, let's say you don't like React and you see that React has a really good rating in the survey, you're going to automatically assume that the survey was somehow skewed towards React. And if, if you don't like Angular, then you're going to assume they skewed towards Angular. So it's really hard to uh, to find a, a way to please everybody. But I still think like with 9,000 respondents, you know, there's going to be like some meaningful data that comes out of it, right? It's not like I... It's not like I was able to just find 9,000 React developers. So hopefully it <laughs> no, still makes sense. I thought it was very well done. And it's a very, um, it was a pretty comprehensive thing. So it's not something that someone would just sit down and just bang out in like two seconds. It, had, it took some thought. So I feel like it is definitely a good, um, with 9,000 people, especially a good sampling of people. What was one of the the things that you expected to see that, was not there or what was like the biggest thing that kind of was different than what you were expecting to see as far as the results are concerned? So I was pretty surprised to see that people uh, were overall pretty happy with the state of things. Most people say they enjoyed using JavaScript and they wanted to use it, which goes against, you know, the common common meme of, oh, JavaScript is such a horrible language and, you know, everybody should be using like, I don't know, Lisp or Haskell or whatever. So actually, it turns out JavaScript developers do like their language. And I, I agree. I mean, I've, I've never really had any problems with JavaScript as a language. Um, and especially now, with like, you know, ES6 or ES2015. But then even things like Redux, like you'll find a lot of people saying, oh, Redux, there's too much boilerplate. It's too complex. And it turns out people who use Redux are pretty happy with it. So. You know, I don't know if it's just, you know, like a Stockholm syndrome or something, but it seems that people, like things aren't that bad, basically. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's just, there's just so many pe people doing JavaScript development now, I think, and the ecosystem is changing and it is moving fast. I think that there's a lot of people that are just getting into it as well. And I think that when someone writes something that kind of, talks about everything being too crazy, too fast moving, too much new stuff. It might strike a nerve with a lot of people that can relate that are maybe new or that haven't just gotten used to that churn yet. So they subscribe to that opinion and then you get a lot of, you know, noise around that subject. But in general, I agree. I mean, as someone that's been developing now for over five years, I guess now is my full-time job. I think now it's more pleasurable than ever to do stuff in JavaScript and you can build native apps now with React Native. You can do real state management with your web application. Angular 2 is finally out of beta. It's now stable, I guess. So if you're an Angular developer, you can kind of start gravitating towards one thing. And I think the ecosystem is so large now and there's such a demand that people can start specializing in one thing and they need to maybe realize that they don't need to know all these things. Yeah, it'd be great if you can understand and jump in all these different stacks. But in my opinion, if you want to have a successful career, you might think about specializing in one thing and also keeping, you know, some options open, but you don't really have to know everything. Yeah, I agree completely. Like, it's funny because I feel a lot of developers, they want to understand and, and know the details of 
every piece of software they use. And I think that's what leads to fatigue. I had this conversation with a friend the other day, like he was complaining about Webpack and I was like, oh, I use Webpack with no problem whatsoever because I'm using this uh, static side generator called Gatsby, which runs Webpack and it just works out of the box. So there's basically, you know, I haven't had to write a single line of Webpack code and it works great. And so my friend was like, oh, but then you're not really using Webpack, right? And I think there's this mentality <laughs> that you're not really using it unless you're like tweaking it and, and setting it up and doing everything manually. But it's like, I'm using Mac OS. I didn't, I don't know how it works. I didn't go into the internals of Mac OS, but it just works. And I think we just need to get to the same point with web technologies where, where we trust them enough to use them without, you know, without obsessing over understanding every little line of code. And, you know, don't get me wrong, it's great if you want to do that, but don't feel like you have to do that. So what's your opinion about a lot of the people that are kind of complaining about some of the open source projects that are coming out? This kind of goes along with what we were just talking about, but there's been people that are kind of vocal saying there should not be as much new, I guess, I guess there should not be as many new open source projects coming out that are kind of in the same space as other open source projects and things like that. You know, what's your opinion about that conversation, I guess? I mean, maybe one objection is that it kind of fragments the open source ecosystem and then people, there's fewer people to contribute, but I don't really buy that because people don't really contribute anyway. You know, most open source projects, they have one or two maintainers and, and that they do 99% of the work. So uh, I, I'm not sure it really has any negative effects. Um, and that's how you get new open source projects and new new patterns, right? Like it's kind of a, the survival of the fittest in a way, like you go head to head with another framework and whoever does the better job at, you know, documentation and performance and everything else kind of wins out. So it's really hard to have that without having that competition in the first place. So, I can see why fragmentation would be bad, but I'm not sure how you get the 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 advantages of competition without the downsides of fragmentation. Yeah, it's 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 very that's a, some very interesting points, and I totally understand where these people are coming from. But at the same time, all this stuff is free. All these projects are kind of being built. Not all of them, but most of them are kind of being built by people in their free time to kind of help us. But I think what resonates or what the argument may be is more like, so you have an API and I've built my company's application on it. Now you're changing the API. So now we have to go and rewrite this. And maybe if they're either used to working in a, a different stack that doesn't have that type of churn, they are just used to not having to go about rewriting these things, or maybe they've sold their boss on something and now they have to go back and be like, Hey, you know, that thing I told you about, we have to kind of go back and rewrite it because it's changed or maybe they just don't want to go and relearn it. But in general, I think you um, have to, first of all, before you make a, a large decision for something that's going to be a long-term project, kind of keep in mind the what's going on right now in the system, the ecosystem and keep in mind that this stuff might change. So if you if you don't want to be on the latest, greatest stack, that's okay. 
Um, there was really a really interesting article on Hacker News about how Slack runs on PHP. And I thought the, we'll probably go ahead and link to that in the show notes if you haven't seen it. But there was a very good conversation about people that like to be on the latest and greatest stuff. And then there's also people that just like to get stuff done. And I really love to be on the newest, latest, and greatest. So personally, so reading that was interesting to to hear another person's opinion because, yeah, what my company actually really wants done or what my clients really want is a working app, and they don't really care what, what I use. They just want it to be finished. So, yeah, there's just a lot of discussion yeah, sure. to have, be had there. I think yeah. maybe one way to mitigate this is to kind of have more of a microservices approach where your app is made up of many smaller apps. So, you know, if if you have to update one of them, it's not as much work. And, and even if you have only one app, you know, maybe make sure the front end, back end are kind of independent and make sure you're like, you use Redux so your uh, state is kind of in one place and your components are stateless. I think as you get more experience, you kind of learn how to separate things out and and if one thing thing breaks or needs to be updated, it doesn't impact the rest of your stack as much. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty cool idea. I've thought about doing that before with some of my projects, but like never upgrading them again. And I don't know why. Like I thought about this, but for example, logging in, you know, with like a username and a password to a website, I feel like that's something I could just write in vanilla JavaScript. And no matter what silly idea I come up with, can always pull that code in and just like have like a, a login and register page, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm a little more on the get stuff done level, but I I have this like hard balance because I do love being on the new stuff too, except sometimes I'm like, man, I really should get this done. So it's it's a constant battle with my mind. Well, I feel, you know, it's kind of tricky because you could say, oh, Facebook, they just want to get stuff done. They use PHP. But then they had the resources to write like uh, uh, HHVM. Like if you're just a hacker, like a regular guy, you can't write something that compiles your PHP to C or whatever it does. So you do need to be careful like about that. You can't, if, if you write your, you know, login code in plain JavaScript, it might work great, but then it will require you more more maintenance, maybe, you know, or there's really a, a need to strike a balance between both ends of the spectrum, I think. And that's that's the whole problem. Um, but I think being at either end is probably more uncomfortable than being in the middle. Yeah, that's very true. And another thing that, that I think would be something to keep in mind, that a lot of the people that are more vocal in the Twitter community, a lot of the people that are more vocal in the open source community, it seems like a lot of these guys maybe do different things than your average developer. So they're not they they some of them do go to the regular everyday jobs, but a lot of the a lot of the guys that are writing a lot of the more popular open source frameworks, like some of the Facebook stuff, they get to experiment and do these awesome things all the time and put out these new projects and they are dabbling in the bleeding edge but that doesn't mean you need to do that in your company so it's just something also to keep in mind that a lot of these people they might be using this stuff in these companies like facebook but they also kind of might be doing some experimentation there 
And, you know, if you don't completely grok what's going on yet, it's not something to really, you know, to worry about too much, I guess. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, even from a, a business model perspective, like, if you're in a startup and you have, you know, high growth and but you have a lot of technical debt because you you moved fast and broke things, you can just raise a round of funding and hire like 20 engineers um, and then move on like that. Uh, but if you're just a, a bootstrapper, uh, you, you have a lot of technical debt, you know, what you can get stuck in a place where you have to do customer support and it takes a longer time because your app doesn't work that well and you earn money, but not enough to hire somebody else to help you. So it's really tricky. You, I feel you can't just take like the, you know, whatever advice is floating on Hacker News or, or Twitter as gospel and just apply it because if you're not like, a startup in Silicon Valley, it might very well not apply at all to you. Yeah, it just like depends on what you're most interested in. You know, like some people are really heavily into, you know, the engineering part and probably work on big O in their free time, you know, and some people want to like, you know, build hardware things with Arduino and Raspberry Pi, right? And then, you know, there's like the entrepreneurial uh engineers who like to you know like build side projects or even join startups and you know do all this crazy stuff and then depending on where you land is sort of like what you'll sort of like specialize in or spend most of your time in you know yeah so we talked about something that surprised you about the survey what didn't surprise you like what did you see that was exactly kind of what you were expecting to see so let me think you know, I expected React to score pretty highly because I think over the last couple of years, it's kind of established itself as a pretty safe choice and a pretty pretty popular one. Like you don't see that many people saying, oh, I, I built my app in React. It was a huge mistake. Whereas you, you do see that a little bit with Angular where people complain of, you know, complex code bases and they, they want to switch to something else. So uh, yeah, overall, the React ecosystem seems to be pretty, you know, coherent. There's like React, Redux, GraphQL, Webpack. So it was interesting to see the, these clusters emerge from the data that kind of confirmed that you know, th these islands of text that work together uh, exist. So that kind of confirmed what I what I what I thought. And since we're on the React Native Radio podcast. I'll go into the results for the mobile application frameworks that they were um, had that Sacha had on the uh, survey. So there was native apps, uh, React Native, Cordova, PhoneGap, and NativeScript. And overall, I could say that I was interested to see that React Native had the highest percentage of people saying they've heard of it and they would like to learn it. So that's good. It was like 61% of people that took the survey, had heard of it, and they wanted to learn it. So that's very promising. What, what concerned me a little bit was the 13% of people that said they used it before and would still use it again. But based on what I, you know, what Cordova and Native Apps were, the where they scored. So Cordova scored 20% said they'd used it and wouldn't use it again. And 30% of Native App developers said they would use it again. So uh, React Native scored below Cordova. So just to clarify, these are like relative percentages, right? So the reason Cordova is higher is because more people have used it. So 20% of respondents had used Cordova and would use it again. 
and 13% had used React Native and would use it again, but that just means fewer people have used React Native. If you if you isolate just the satisfaction, uh, React Native is at 92% satisfaction you know, oh, among wow. people who have used it. And then Cordova is as only uh, 58%. So React Native is actually probably uh, in a much better place. It oh, just has fewer users. You know what? I think I'm looking at the wrong number. So it looks like, it looks like, uh, so 13% used it before and would use it again. And only 1% said they would not use it again, actually. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. So yeah. So actually it scores the highest out of all of the mobile frameworks that are out there right now. That's interesting. Yeah, even higher than uh, native apps, which is interesting, I think. Wow. That's, that's awesome to hear. And it looks like a very small percentage, if not heard of it, only 8%. So. I sort of wonder where those 8% are coming from, you know, because I'm assuming you told people on Twitter and Hacker News about this. You know, I wonder, I wonder if people are viewing Hacker News and just like avoiding React or, you know, like I wonder what outlets this survey went to that 8% of the population have never heard of. React Native before. Well, you know, that goes back to, yeah, what I was talking about before. The thing is, really, it's really hard. Like, you know, even Twitter, like, you know, somebody came from Twitter, but that doesn't really tell you much about who they are. So um, maybe next time I do the survey, I, I can collect more about uh, demographics. But then the problem is a lot of people don't like giving out personal information and they you know, if I ask people's uh, age and gender and so on, people will like be like, oh, why do you need to know that? And then if I don't ask, people will be like, oh, well, you don't have any data on the demographics of your survey, so how can we trust it? So, you know, it, it's hard to find the right balance between that. And yeah, I'm not sure who those 8% are, but there are people who are like, you know, maybe they, they use JavaScript just for... Um, alert uh hello world or whatever in their app or uh, console.log and they're like they don't use react don't use react native or maybe they still still use backbone or something so i think that uh, the ecosystem is really diverse and it's it's really hard to even define what a javascript developer is because i think if you do anything related to the web you're pretty much a javascript developer i think very few people have never written a single line of javascript but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, tuned in into their latest, hottest framework. So, what's very surprising is that fourteen percent of people said they have never heard of Cordova, and you know, for for only eight percent of people to say they haven't heard of React Native, and fourteen percent to say they've never heard of, heard of Cordova was a very interesting point to me because Cordova has been around for so long, like four or five years at least, and React Native has has been around for about less than two years. I think React Native's like um, its value proposition is a lot more attractive because it gives you a native app, and I think that's. I mean, everybody pretty much knows that native apps have better UX and better performance, and they just feel better. So I think when React Native came out and had this really strong selling point that it compiles to native code, that was a huge, huge thing, and it, it did a lot for its uh, awareness. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the two things that surprised me the most, other than um, kind of what you've already talked about, is the state management MobX 
See, I love Mob X, and I'm very uh, surprised to see that 70% of people had not heard of it. And then the other other interesting thing to me was uh, the API layers to see how many people are taking advantage of Firebase. Firebase is very seems to have seems to have a lot of attention, a lot of usage. It seems to have a really good retention rate as well. Yeah, I think Firebase. Like for example, uh, I did a React tutorial, um, and it used Firebase, you know, as a way to store the data. So whenever you want to store something, but you don't want to bother with a database, uh, Firebase is is a great choice. So uh, I wasn't too surprised to see it that high. And you know, it's been bought by Google, but even before that, you know, I think they had a a lot of marketing. Like there's a, a whole company behind it. So. I think even if you compare it to like something like Falco, let's say, uh, Falco is like a side project of Netflix. So I don't think Netflix is going to invest a ton of resources in promoting it. So I think a lot of uh, open source projects have a hard time taking off just for that reason. Yeah, I I love Firebase. Firebase, before I started using Meteor, I was building my apps with Angular and Firebase and sucking up all the tutorials I could find. And it was so easy. All you had to do was sign up and like run one command, aka enter your API key. Oh yeah, I totally remember seeing Firebase demoed at ng-comp for the first time, and I was just blown away. I was just like, "Wow, this is this is awesome. This is the future." And then I saw Meteor sometime soon after that, and I felt the same way about Meteor actually. But I've also found that. Firebase is just so easy to get up and running for prototypes and for small projects that I actually ship. And I feel like there's a little less overhead than Meteor. Yeah, they're very different. Like, so Meteor, you you have your own database, your own server, like you're in control of the whole stack, right? So, you know, the end result, it also gives you like very easy uh, authentication and, and data synchronization and so on. but in a in a way that gives you a lot more control. Yeah. So I, I guess the hope is that you can you have the ease of use of Firebase, but at the same time you can scale up and you, you have all the, the tools you need to build more complex apps as well. Yeah, that's one thing I, I have not had a lot of I, I've never really gotten an actual authentication working with the actual Firebase database and all that stuff. I've actually gone I've rolled my own authentication, but Meteor is a pleasure to to work with when it comes to authentication. Have you guys looked over the uh, CSS results? Those were kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I thought CSS. I think CSS. You know, right now, I think the the vast majority of people are still on the old CSS. You know, bandwagon. Like, I mean, old in, in air quotes because there's nothing old or wrong with it, but things like. Uh, SAS and OS and so on, but there's like this huge new wave of things like CSS modules and CSS in, in JavaScript that is coming, and I think it's going to be like you know GraphQL and REST. I think it's going to have a pretty big impact, and probably cause a lot of angry blog posts about CSS fatigue too. The CSS fatigue is coming. <laughs> can Can you kind of talk about what exactly CSS modules are? I know that I've I've definitely been working a lot with CSS uh, with JavaScript, actually, JavaScript styling for my React code. But the one thing I've run into 
that I haven't really found a solution yet. And maybe I'm not really in tune with, with everything that's going on right now because I've been doing a lot of React Native development. But as far as doing hover effects and transitions and things like that based on things that are going on in the application, you know, finding ways to nest CSS, I have not found a way that is as elegant as just straight up either SCSS or, or CSS in a in a way that makes me happy enough to kind of make the switch entirely. Is there something out there that I'm missing that that allows you to do those types of things with JavaScript? Actually, yeah, I think last week maybe something called a style components came out, and I think it does just that. It lets you write plain CSS, but you get the benefits of CSS and JavaScript. So that looks pretty promising. Oh, very nice. There's also a thing called Glamour, I think, uh, that looked cool. I haven't looked into it too much. To be honest, I'm still using SAS or CSS, and I'm very happy with it. But, you know, I, so I, I'm giving the category a couple more months to to mature and for things to, to shake out, but I'm keeping a close eye on it. Yeah, I think I saw styled components. That's from Max Stoiber, I believe. Yeah, I think so. I wasn't sure. I didn't. I didn't know that you were able to do hover and, and and things like that and nested. So I'll definitely have to take a look at that. That's pretty interesting. So speaking of CSS and, and all that, maybe I can talk a little bit about how I built the actual survey itself. I don't know if that would be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So I use this tool called uh, Gatsby, which is a, a static site generator. So if you know like Jekyll or, or Middleman or Hexo for Node, it's kind of the same thing. So it takes Markdown and static HTML and then turns it into an, uh, a site. The difference is uh, Gatsby is based on React. So it lets you use your uh, yeah, regular React components in your static site. And that's actually really cool. Uh, yeah, I found it really powerful because so I actually started using Hexel first, and I had a really hard time like context switching between my React apps, where you know you think in terms of components and uh, importing stuff, and then a static site where it's everything is a, a page, and you know you have your script tags, and, and it's such a different world, right? So I, I found that Gatsby let me stay in that React world and that kind of modern app world while generating a static site. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've heard of Gatsby a couple of times. This, is, this has to be like the, the handful of times that I've heard it as of now. So I'll have to definitely take a look at it. Is it comparable to anything else out there that maybe would give people a better idea of what it is? So there's another uh, React static site generator called uh, Phenomic, I think, um, that I haven't tried. But I think that, yeah, apart from that, you know, it, you can think of it as um, there's also the, the React thing, uh, Create React App. Uh, it's a bit like that in that it uses Webpack and it, it wraps the, the whole, like, it, it's basically the whole stack except for the server. And then it generates your, your uh, bundle, your React JavaScript bundle. And the other really cool part is that it does um, server-side rendering. So you're actually getting a static HTML file for every page, every route in your app, which then includes the React bundle. So you get both the really fast loading, uh, regular HTML page for SEO and performance and all that, and then 
uh, React kicks in, and then you can just navigate it like you would a regular single-page app. Yeah, my personal site, peterp.me, is a Gatsby site. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's it's so easy to use. Yeah, I guess it's really similar to Jekyll too. If you if you come from like the blogging world and you've used different blogging frameworks, I guess it's like for me it was most similar to Jekyll. A really cool thing that uh, Gatsby does that I don't think Jekyll or other uh, static site generator do is that you can so you can parse Markdown as usual, but you can also parse like uh, CSV files or JSON files or YAML. And you know, basically, you know, thanks to uh, Webpack, Webpack has all these loaders you can use. And so I was able to uh, just have these plain CSV files with all my data and import them and use them as uh, JSON. So you can just pass them to your chart or whatever. And you don't need to do the conversion manually or, or, or do any of that. So that was super handy. So what were your main takeaways from the survey? Like if you were just to kind of boil everything down and look at all of the results, what were some of the most interesting things that you kind of got from all of the results? So I guess one takeaway is that the React ecosystem is really dominant right now. And I'm not saying in terms of market share or or anything like that, because that's not what I focused on. So there might be more Angular users or or Amber users and React users, I, I don't know. But in terms of satisfaction and and, and all that, I think React uh, is in a really good place. Uh, but there's also like other clear uh, winners like uh, Vue, for example, Vue.js. Um, I think it had the second highest uh, satisfaction score behind React, uh, at least for uh, front-end frameworks. Um, and I, I have a friend who has a, a site called bestofjs.org, uh, which tracks stats about JS frameworks. And he told me that Vue is the maybe second fastest growing framework in terms of GitHub stars right behind React. So uh, it's I think Vue is going to be a major player uh, in 2017. Man, if it's I not already so. one. I love Vue. Vue is amazing. I haven't built anything with it as far as production ready or anything that I've actually used in, in real life, but I've been playing around with it, and it's a pleasure to work with. Yeah, I haven't used it either, but that's what everybody tells me. So um, like right now, I'm pretty deep into the React world, but if I was starting from scratch, I think Vue would be a strong contender. I think Vue is something that is perfect for people that are working with React. It's something that it was very easy for me to comprehend really easily, and I'm not someone that picks up things very easily. I usually have to bang my head against the wall for a month. but I looked at Vue and was able to get something up and running very fast. The one thing that I think it needs, or maybe that I'm just not aware of, is a more mature way of doing complex things as far as with React, we have all these tools and uh, best practices. At least we have a, a, some type of tooling and best practice, maybe not a final, you know, mature enough to where people are completely okay with it because things are still changing. But at least there's something there. I think Vue, maybe as it gets more mature with things like that, I think it will definitely be a contender, absolutely. And I believe there's even a Vue native that someone's working on to be able to write React Native apps using Vue. Yeah, I've read that. So Vue has a lot of Chinese users and Chinese companies. And I think Alibaba or one of these huge companies is working on something like that. So I think if that happens, that would be pretty significant, yeah. 
So this is kind of a little bit off the topic of actual the actual survey results. But how hard was it to kind of build the actual survey results website? Because it's a very nice, well-done website. You have a lot of nice graphs and things like that. Was that something Thanks. that took a lot of time? Yeah, I'd say it took me a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks. Well, actually, okay, the part that took the longest was uh, getting people to uh, contribute uh, the riot ups because I don't know if you know this, but each uh, chapter, each section of the, the survey results is uh, written by a different expert on that topic. So uh, tracking down people took a lot of time. But yeah, building the, the site itself took a couple of weeks as well. As usual, you know, you, you get the first, like, kind of, the MVP at the door in a couple of days, and then it t- takes you weeks just to get the responsiveness to work right and get the chart to display how you want. Like to ex- give you an example, um, I, I spent you know a couple a day or two maybe just working on uh, the algorithm so that the labels don't collide when the, the bars are really narrow. Otherwise, they would the labels would stack up and you couldn't read anything. So uh, little things like that you don't really anticipate can take a lot of time. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting that you had it. Uh, you you had people come and kind of contribute. That's really that's really interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, because I didn't want the survey to be coming. You know, all coming from my own perspective. Uh, I wanted to. Well, first of all, because I don't know a ton about some of these uh, aspects of the ecosystem, but also just to avoid again like skewing the the write ups in one direction or another. Um, you know, also because uh, these guys are really interesting and they know a lot. So I wanted to, wanted to hear what they had to say. So as far as uh, all the time and effort and money that you've spent to get this State of JS uh, survey going, how are you benefiting from it other than just getting traffic and stuff? Are you monetizing it in any way? Yeah, so I'm monetizing it a little bit. So there's a, there's basically two ways. Um, maybe you've noticed if you've looked at the survey, but there's uh, links to like uh, relevant video courses on each section. So either from uh, Westboss or uh, egghead.io, which are both like really cool sites to learn uh, all kinds of new technologies. And so those are sponsored links. You know, I did that, you know, first of all, as a way to make a living, but also because I'm really curious. I'm always trying to find ways to like, uh, monetize my projects as a way to test like the uh, hypothesis like for example okay I, I wrote a book and i know i can sell a book but how would that compare to sponsored links for example or something else i tried so i made the, the data for the survey available for free but i gave uh, people the option to make a donation if they wanted to and i was really curious to see how that would turn out turn out so I think I made maybe like a hundred dollars from donations, you know, which is not a lot because most people just put in zero and get the data for free. But even that is interesting. Like it's a good data point for future projects. Um, so yeah, uh, the sponsorships, the sponsor links are doing uh, pretty well, actually. So, you know, since I, I'm partnered up with these companies, I don't want to share uh, data publicly without asking them, but. I'm hoping to write a, a blog post to follow up specifically about monetizing that project uh, if they don't mind. That would be interesting. I really, I really wonder how that will turn out. But I've got another question for you. 
So like, where do you plan on going next? You know, what's, what's in store for the future for you? Uh, do you have any other like exciting projects coming up? Well, you know, basically a week after I posted that, uh, the survey after I published the results, there was this very popular post that came out about JavaScript fatigue, like what it's like to learn JavaScript in 2016. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen it. And it got like a ridiculous number of tweets and uh, likes on Medium. So this gave me the idea of maybe writing a post to address that. So I'm working on a kind of pretty simple study plan for learning JavaScript in 2016. Um, and then if that works, I'm even thinking about making a, a mini site like, you know, jsstudyplan.com or something, uh, because I think there's a, a need for something like that right now. So that might be my next project, uh, or it might be something else. I'm always working on Telescope. Uh, I want to port it to like uh, Apollo, so using Redux and GraphQL. So that might take up some time. So we'll see. You know, right now I'm kind of... Uh, at the point where I'm keeping my options open and and just seeing what comes next. So you are a full-time consultant or you're kind of a freelancer slash someone who kind of just works on their own. You don't really have a company you work for. You do a lot of your own work. Um, can you kind of give some advice for other people that are looking to get into full-time freelancing slash consulting? How do you kind of get your customers? How do you you know, keep your, your existing clientele and, and how you manage all of that and how you do maybe a little bit of marketing. I know that's a lot of questions, but if you feel like just kind of going over some of the basics, um, I think everybody would, would love to hear that. Yeah. So I used to be like a um, freelance designer, uh, but for the past, I guess, four years now, I've been on my own. Like I don't have clients anymore and I just make a living off projects like the book, Discover Media or sidebar and so on so yeah i mean it, it wasn't easy to get here like i did spend a lot, quite a few years freelancing and kind of saving up so i think that's really important first of all you need that that caution that security that you're not gonna starve to death so yeah just stay frugal and, and put money away while you have a day job or while you have a solid clients but a good technique for example is when you quit your day job you keep your company as a client for your freelancing business. That's that's a really good way to get started. And then if you want to transition into more of uh, an entrepreneur uh, role, like the things to keep in mind is that first of all, it takes time. Your first project is probably not going to be successful or the, the second or third. So you need that that runway, right? You need to be able to put out maybe 10 projects before one of them works well enough to make a make a living. So, um, you know, when you read write-ups about a hacker that may makes $10,000 a month, whatever, what they often don't tell you is that it was his seventh project or something. He tried tons of things before. So yeah, don't get discouraged. Just uh, make sure you have enough time and money to try things, build an audience, and go slowly. That's basically what I did, at least. I totally agree with you. It's just something that you have to keep trying and trying until you figure out. Do you do any consulting for independent like startups or companies that, that need an application build? Or do you do more product and product-related things that you kind of market yourself? 
Yeah, no, I haven't done any consulting like in a long time now. I, I you know, I would probably do it if it was uh, easy enough and didn't take up too much time. But I think it's funny, like it's all about how you market yourself. So I, when I was very active on uh, things like Gribble for designers, I had lots of inquiries. But you know, when you write a book or do open source work, people won't necessarily like ask you because they don't see you as a consultant, which is fine by me. Um, but it means just because you have a high profile in one area doesn't necessarily translate to like you know having companies knocking down your door to give you loads of money. Okay, well, I think we'll go ahead and get to the picks. Peter, do you have any picks tonight? So my pick for tonight is something called Materialette, which is a, a color palette for material design. It's a OSX app that lives in your menu bar. And then once you pop it open, you can click a color and it'll automatically copy to your keyboard. It's pretty cool. Sacha, do you have any picks tonight? Actually, I'm also going to pick like a macOS app. So um, I always had this problem of uh, managing my my icons and my icon sets. And I found an app called uh, svgs.us. Like, I, I pronounce it svgs. I don't know if that's how you're supposed to pronounce <laughs> it, but it, it's, uh, yeah, your SVG savior. Maybe that's their slogan. And um, it basically lets you uh, load in a whole bunch of SVGs and then just drag and drop it to wherever you need them, like Sketch or Photoshop or even Keynote. Uh, you can also get the, the SVG code, which is super useful. So you can just paste in your SVG and your React component and use it that way. So um, yeah, svgs.us, pretty cool app, and it's free. Okay, um, I have two picks tonight. One of them is, well, they're both blog posts. The first one is JavaScript is the G uh, gateway drug, and it's by Josh Owens. And I actually just saw this blog post after you mentioned that Josh was one of the editors on State of JS, and it's yeah, a pretty yeah, it's a pretty good article actually. If you want to hear some positive things about JavaScript and kind of where where he thinks everything is going, and it's pretty interesting, and he makes some really good points. I only read about three quarters of it, but it's it looks like a really good blog post so far. And my other pick is another blog post by Leo Lamprecht, I believe his name is. And it's called Releasing on GitHub. And it's the first kind of post I've seen anyone kind of take uh, the issue of how to release your open source projects or just release your code in general on GitHub with a lot of kind of new, a newer write-up about how to do that and maybe some best practices that are pretty up-to-date with what's going on right now. So. I would check that out if you're interested in knowing more about that. It's called Releasing on GitHub, and it's on Medium, and I'm sure you can just Google it, but we'll also have a link to it in the show notes. So thank you, Sasha, for coming on. That wraps up episode 43 of React Native Radio, and we'll see everyone next week. See you, everybody.